This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 348 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Fox Hunters on the move. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress, Buy Me to Dewormers, Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products, and Mill Creek Spreaders. And this week, we're going to be talking fox hunting, and specifically about fox hunters who started out in the north and ended up moving south, like uh, my wife and I did. And, you know, after this winter, it's certainly something that uh, I'm sure more fox hunters are considering. And so we're going to be uh, doing that on today's show. I'm the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. This is our special fox hunting edition. Well, howdy, Helena. Howdy, Glenn. How are you? Okay. You notice I played the fox hunting opening music instead of our usual. did. That sound just gets me all giddy. Get the the (laughs) horn blowing and the hounds. What do they do? Bray? They sing. Oh, sounds they singing speak. or speaking. They sing yeah, or they I don't know speak. what they yep. do. <laughs> Giving tongue, all kinds of things. We've got all kinds of ways of describing barking. <laughs> exactly. Which <laughs> they don't bark. They don't bark. They're they not do dogs. They, no, they I have got that. Well, you know what? You say they're not dogs. Well, we I always had, get in trouble because um, I call them dogs. Well, we had on um, uh, last year the um, Dennis Foster who is the president of the Masters of Foxhounds Association. And he actually set me straight on a couple of things. Um, the first of which, don't get all caught up in calling the hounds hounds. Like, if somebody calls them dogs, it's no big deal, right? It's because just, technically, I own a hound. I own a greyhound who is a you hound, a but she's hound. also a dog. You, <laughs> you own know? a sight hound? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was like, don't get all caught up in, in the hounds thing. And I was like, oh, geez, that was, I was like, Total hunting snob. You know, they're <laughs> hounds. And then um, the other thing that he said was, um, you know, don't worry so much about what you're wearing out in the hunt field. Obviously, you want to be neat and tidy and respectful, but there are a lot of rules and there's a lot of etiquette that um, it's okay to take to take second place in the priority list when you're hunting. Basically, do whatever we can to get more people out there riding to hounds. So go ahead and call them do you dogs think if that's, you want to, Glenn. Yeah, do you think that's uh, becoming true for a lot of hunts who basically are like everything else in the horse world? They need new members. They do need new members, and we're losing land at you know record-breaking rates. And so the more people that... I mean, fox hunting... Um, takes up is is other than endurance riding and competitive trail riding, it is it's one of the sports or one of the disciplines that requires the most open space. Um, even eventing has a set course, you know. The, um, That's true. Yeah. You know, so we need a lot of open space. So the more people that we get involved with the sport, the more chances we have to conserve the open space we need to carry on our traditions. Um, so I do think that, yeah, just out of necessity, we're going to take as many people as as we can. And if that means lowering the bar a little bit on some of these, I don't want to call them arbitrary rules, you know, because there is nothing arbitrary about fox hunting. Everything has a purpose, you know, right down to how many braids in your, your horse's mane. Um, but 
I do think we need to soften the rules a little bit just so that we can become, we can be a, a more accessible discipline to um, riders and non-riders alike. However, if you are interested in some of the quirkier rules um, of hunting, definitely go to Chasing a Fox on Facebook. There's a particular segment that we wrote about that talks about how many braids in your horse's mane, um, whether it, it changes, whether or not they're a mare or a gelding. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a set number that you should have for a mare or a gelding. Now, this is this is way above my pay grade, but um, it's really kind of interesting, and there's a reason for it. But um, that's the job of chasing a fox in a little black dress. Uh, they bring you all of all of the etiquette rules and the social rules for fox hunting. But that's a fun one. Well, before we get to our first guest, we have to hear from one of our sponsors, and then I have to uh, I have to thank you for something. So uh, we're going to be right back in just a minute. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring Uncle Jimmy Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love, the award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hanging Balls, Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball, the incredible Licky Thing, also in sugar-free, the amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker, and the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious, flavored-filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. Properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. The ball comes in four flavors, apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. We all know the importance of deworming our horses, and Dr. Ellefson of Buy Me to Equine is helping us make sure we are doing it right. Listen for his four-part series the first week of every month on this very show. I just wanted to remind everyone, if you are due for deworming, why not save a few bucks on the popular Buy Me to line of wormers, including Equimax, Bimectin, Exodus, Exodus Multidose, and Equal. You can find coupons and special offers at buymediaequine.com, including a variety of rebate offers from cash to free ivermectin. You can also get up to $2 a dose back for Equimax. And while you're at Buy Me to Equine, get your free horse health record keeper, and you can just download it there. Plus, learn a bunch about parasites and deworming at Buy Me to, that's B-I-M-E-D-A, equine.com. We at the Horse Radio Network all use Buy Me to Dewormers because we want the best for our horses, and we know you want the best for yours, too. Buy Me to equine.com and tell them the Horse Radio Network sent you. Well, Helena, I have to thank you for something. Uh, you know, we've been doing this so long, sometimes I think we forget that we've been doing our show for almost seven years now. And when we started doing this, it was at the beginning of podcasting. You know, the podcasting has only become popular, really, what, in the last two years? Three uh, years. Two years. or three, I would say, in general. Okay. As a general yeah, rule. The, right, with yeah. the, the general public. Right. You know, uh, you know, I think that horse people started to catch on a little bit thanks to all the help that we had also from all of our guests uh, promoting the show and 
And, you know, we, we've had uh, the Chronicle of the Horse and different magazines have promoted the show over the years. And so I think the horse people have kind of figured it out. And there's still more and more people, you know, finding us every day and finding different podcasts every day. Well, I was invited to go down and speak next week at the Florida Podcasters Association meeting. Yes, who knew there even was one? I know. <laughs> I, but the yes, there is. Uh, and there's I, one specific to Florida. Yeah, exactly. And there's hundreds of members. So we, uh, I went down last night for, uh, for the general monthly meeting, and they asked me to come down and sit on a panel and answer questions. Well, this was mostly made up of about 40 people, mostly made up of people who are just starting podcasts or just started, and they're really trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. Boy, you do, we always say this once you've done something for long enough, you forget what you know. Um, yeah. And you forget where you've been and all the things you went through to get to where you are now. Uh, there are very, very, very few uh, podcasts in this world or networks of podcasts that have made it as long as we have, number one, and have done as many shows as we have. We're over 4,000 episodes total for the Horse Radio Network. That's a lot. I mean, there's, that, there's very few. There's probably five in the world that have done that. And, you know, so thank wow. you. Yeah, thank you for, for helping start the thing. And and we learned a lot along the way. And we've learned, you know, things that we should do and shouldn't do. And, you know, we figured out how to sell ads and what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, we spent a lot of time doing that, Jennifer and I especially, about 80 hours a week each. Mm. And, you know, but when you sit in a group like that, you, you don't realize how much you know about a specific topic. And this happened when I taught sales and did sales for so many years, too, or improv theater as well. Um, you just don't remember, you don't re realize how much you know. Until you start to have to explain it to somebody. That's right. So when we were answering questions about podcasting, I actually surprised myself a little bit. I was like, wow, I do know a lot about this topic. What but a pleasant surprise. It was. It was actually kind of, I was actually, a, we, you know, we as the Horse Radio Network, I was the representative, but we were a big fish in a little pond. And I've never yeah. been that before. I've always been the little fish in a big pond. <laughs> so it's kind of neat that way. And, you know, it's become so popular. You remember years ago, I went to the New Media Meetup out in California, and yep. it was for bloggers and podcasters, although it was more bloggers and podcasters then. That was probably eight, nine years ago. That was just a geek fest, really. That it, was when but there this were, stuff was like on the fringe. There were 2,000 people there. Do you know it's going on right now in Las Vegas at this year's New Media Meetup, and there's 40,000 people there, and Holy over God. half of them are podcasters. So that's how much has changed. Well, you know, I got an email recently from my cable provider saying that they're going all digital. So pretty much everything is going to be streamed. Um, podcasting is the original, you know, television was broadcasting. And then uh, when I was in investor relations and financial services in Boston, we were doing, we were doing publicly traded companies' uh, annual meetings via webcast. So we were actually broadcasting, streaming via the internet, and they called those webcasting. And then, of course, MP3 players. Oh, and it was and slow and clunky and <laughs> just. Oh, my God. Let me tell you, it was, it was like, it was like, you know, <laughs> being at the Democratic National Convention, putting on, webcasting one of those events. But, um, and then, of course, the, you know, our devices got smaller and the MP3 players came out and iPods, obviously, which took over the market share. Um, and, you know, then was born this, this miniaturized version of a cast, which became a podcast. 
And, you know, there's always something, there's a technology that comes out of the gate and it gets modified to its most convenient, usable, digestible form. And that's the one that the whole world adopts. And that's kind of what podcasting has become. It's become this easy to digest technology. And I love the fact that, well, I love the fact that we were, that we were horse people there at the beginning, because horse people are always like a day late and a dollar short. Yes, exactly. When it comes to technology, especially. (laughs) Yeah. So um, it's, this is really rewarding that, that you're now there speaking and that podcasting has gone from, you know, 4,000 people to 44,000 people in Las Vegas. You know, that's the big place for techies to go. I was really stupid, though. I didn't realize that the New Media Meetup was going on at the same time as the World Cup. I could have gone out for both. Oh. That was really dumb, huh? Yeah, still a little day late and a dollar short. <laughs> sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it is interesting. One of the things, we did have a minor victory last week. I haven't even talked to you about this, but uh, this is kind of inside uh, podcasting here. There was a company, uh, basically patent troll company, who sued Adam Carolla, NPR, and a couple of the other bigger podcasts. You know, they have millions of downloads. Yeah. And they sued them saying they owned the patent for a episodic online radio show. So, in other words, Wait, a podcast. The the, the the this troll company that that oh. owns a bunch of uh, uh, patents, and then they just go out suing everybody. All you had to do was say troll company, and I yeah. think I got it. Yeah. Okay. So they they sued Adam Carolla. He has spent seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars defending himself. Oh God! And what they claimed was that they own basically anybody that podcasts, uh, and if you do a series, you know, like we do every week. Yeah, then they owe. They can collect a fee. They, you have to pay a rights fee to them. Well, the judge came back and declared this week in in Adam Carolla's favor, saying that's too obvious. It just was too obvious of a a patent, and he threw it out. Uh, so that was what do you a, mean too obvious. It was like patenting uh, walking. You know, it's something oh, everybody's yeah, yeah, going to yeah. do. It's just an obvious thing. It's too obvious. It's not specific right. enough. Um, they didn't patent the technology to make it happen. They were just patenting the thing itself, you know, right. which, which is something that it's like, you know, it, and they've had these kind of patents before that are just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so the judge threw it out. <clears throat> so Adam won. Now- I mean, it cost him almost a million bucks doing it, but it means for us that I'm not going to get sued. That's what it means. Does uh, he get that money back? Can he like mm, countersue for attorney's fees or something? I don't think so. He actually did a fundraising campaign on Kickstarter, one of those, and actually raised like four hundred thousand dollars towards his defense fund. Oh, um, right. yeah, so we all, I, I don't know if anybody, there's a lot of people out there who don't know Adam, who Adam is. He used to do the man show, uh, and he has a radio, he used to have a radio show too. And that now he does his podcast, which is very popular. He's kind of a sexist guy. Uh, but we all owe him a debt of gratitude or because uh, you wouldn't be hearing these shows anymore if we had to turn around and pay a fee and they would have went back on us for our 4,000 past episodes. Oh so, God! Yeah, I mean, we would have been bankrupt. So it, okay, I'm you know, I'm feeling the weight of this right now. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I was really, really starting to worry about this because they would have come after. You know, we're a small fish. 
you know, when you take a look at the whole, there's a lot of tech podcasts that get a, have a lot more listeners than we do. NPR does, you know, all of those, they get a lot more than we do, but we have yeah. 4,000 episodes. So, you know, in that way, they could come after us f- for the fee per episode, and it's a much larger chunk for them than somebody who has 200. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little concerned about that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so we bit the bullet, or we dodged the bullet on that one. Dodged the bullet, yes. yeah. So I wanted to tell you that. I know that's a little inside baseball, but uh, uh, we can all breathe a sigh of relief now. Well, I didn't tell you about it before. You just didn't need that to worry about, too. So oh, like, yeah, yeah. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't think I didn't you needed need that, that to worry about, about along the way. No, it's but, it's it's not much, but my, uh, my stable scoop <laughs> compensation is very much looked forward to every That's month. the only time we ever talk. I mean, that, and it's the only time Helene and I ever get to talk anymore. It's true. It's true. So, so anyway, that's a little win for all of us who listen to podcasts out there. Uh, well, well, let's uh, get back to fox hunting, and why don't you introduce our guest? All right. We have coming up today Joe Bills. He um, He's actually an honorary whip, which essentially means he volunteers. He's not a, a professional staff member, um, but he rides out with Middleton Place Hounds, which is um, in the Charleston, South Carolina area. And uh, he originally, well, he started out at points north, not as far north as me, but north enough, um, and has relocated to... Um, this beautiful South Carolina community and hunts there. So we're going to talk to him about what that's like. Well, now we get to talk to Joe Bills, who hunts with Middleton Place Hounds. And um, he has been hunting for quite a long time. And now uh, not only is he a subscribing member with Middleton Place, but he also does serve as an honorary whip, which happens quite often in hunts around the U.S. So welcome, Joe. Well, thank you, Helen. Looking forward to... uh talking about it with you all. So, okay. Um, part of this fox hunting segment that we're doing is getting to know our fellow fox hunters and um, a little bit about their background and, and where they live. But in particular, today we're interested in learning about where you started riding and hunting and then how you ended up in a beautiful southern um, <laughs> town, <laughs> which I lost after. You're in the Charleston area, right? Charleston, South Carolina? That, that is correct. I actually live in Somerville, which is just a few miles outside of Charleston. Okay. Where did you start? How did you get into riding, and where did you grow up riding? Well, I actually, I always loved horses, but, uh, you know, our family could not afford it. After college, I graduated from Eastern Kentucky College, uh, Eastern Kentucky University, uh, just south of Lexington, and then began working in the Lexington area. And as a lark, I started taking some riding lessons and figured that wouldn't last that long. And it's been 35 (laughs) years now, I guess. That's how it starts for a lot of us. (laughs) Yes. And uh, I took lessons there and bought a a lovely Anglo-Arab mare. I used to watch the Iroquois hunt go out and kind of figured that was above my station in life. And then... So in 1984, I got a job with the Navy at uh, the Norfolk Naval Base in Virginia and moved there. My mayor and I moved there, and uh, uh, I met a lady there, Dorothy Renfro, who was a pony club lady, and she invited me to go out with the Princess Anne Hunt, uh, which is out of Williamsburg, and uh, went out with them for the first time, and as they say, the rest is history. 
Well, you don't think about a young sailor traveling with their mare. Uh, you know, you just well, I, that's not something you hear very often. <laughs> no, I, I was not a sailor. I was a civil service employee. Okay. So it right, much better. <laughs> so you, how long did you hunt with Princess Anne? I hunted, it's kind of interesting. I went out with them several times and then uh, moved to the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, then there I moved just outside uh, Washington to a facility uh, with the government uh, south of Gettysburg, but inside Maryland. And my uh, former wife and I started hunting with the uh, home run hunt. Okay. And uh, which is not with us anymore. They they folded a number of years ago, and then we joined the Carrollton Hounds, which is a farmers pack in Carroll County, Maryland. Uh, that was in the early '90s, and I hunted with them up until I moved to uh, Charleston here a couple years ago. And then I also I did a number of hunt trips uh, beginning in early 2000 uh, that brought me down here to the Carolinas where I was introduced to a number of different huts and a number of different people. So what was the deciding factor um, in going to um, the, the home where you are now and, and hunting with Middleton Place? Um, mostly because I wanted to be closer to the coast. I'm, I'm retired now. And I uh, decided I wanted to be further south, away from that um, Maryland weather. <clears throat> and uh, I love Charleston. Uh, most people would say, well, why didn't you go to Aiken, which is a uh, horse and hunting uh, mecca, or Camden. But I wanted to be closer to the coast. I do like the, the ocean. I like the water. Uh, so that was, that was one of the deciding factors. Uh, that I, I'm always in. looking for the, my next hunting territory, and I can't go too far from the coast either. And your your choices are limited um, if you're looking up and down the eastern seaboard, if you want a little bit of ocean life and um, a lot of hunting life. Exactly. Right now from my house, I can be at you know one of the uh, beaches, Edisto or Iowa Palms or Sol- Sullivan's in 45 minutes, depending on how the traffic flows, which is not bad. And then I'm a half an hour from downtown Charleston uh, with all the great restaurants and cultural activities. So, you know, it's sort of giving me the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Now you have, um, how did you, who are you riding now? You, you, you're not on your mare anymore. You've got a new mount. No, she, uh, I've had several since then. I lost her in 2000 and right now I have a very nice uh, paint gelding named, uh, traveler, and I got him uh, what a year year ago, and he's uh, proven to be a very nice horse. He's athletic, very intelligent, and he's taken to his whipping job uh, quite seriously. In fact, he thinks he knows more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes we get in the fight. <laughs> sometimes we get into fights as to where we're supposed to be. <laughs> and how and when he hears it. Uh, he's 13 now. Okay. And uh, he's. I also do dressage on him. I, I, I had a dressage background, and I do enjoy that. And he's actually very, very good at that also. 
which makes them very handy. I know that I, I had a pretty solid dressage foundation before I started hunting and um, didn't realize until you get into some of those those breakneck runs through the woods, just how handy having a good dressage seat is. Um, oh, most definitely. Most right? definitely. That, that fine tuning when you're, when you, when it's trappy too, when the footing is, is tight and trappy, it, it's nice to have, um, those subtle dressage aids. So, um, so now you're in, um, you're in Somerville, you're riding out with Milton place and this is different because this is a, a drag hunt. And the other hunts that you rode out with were were live. How how is that different for you? Uh, it it's it took some getting used to uh, for several reasons. Number one, uh, down here our 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 the woods are very thick, and we pretty much have to stay on the numerous. Uh, uh, fire roads and fire breaks and all that. We hunt out of Middleton Place, which is a very historic plantation, and they own uh, about 5,500 acres across the road from what most people would view as the historic area. And it's uh, heavily forested, but they do have a lot of roads in there and a lot of beautiful lakes that have been built over the years. Uh, but it took some getting used to, and uh, one thing about drag hunting is that you're going pretty, when you do go, you're going pretty fast. Uh, unlike, and, and you know you're going to go. Uh, you're going to have a hunt every time you go out. Uh, like with live hunting, uh, some days, it's, if, the, if the foxes aren't cooperating, you can have a glorified trail ride, and it's very slow. But every run with a drag hunt, you are going uh, going fast and furious with it. I know. My wife always said that, too. She always said she liked the drag hunts better because you know you're going to get a good ride in that day. You, there's not going to be a lot of standing around just waiting. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. One of the nice things I like about being a whip with Middleton is that I'm up with the hounds and oftentimes a little bit out in front of them uh, to make sure they don't riot and uh live game or something happened. And, uh, now so let's, ex- let's explain that for the non-fox uh, hunters out there. The, these hounds are actually trained to follow a certain scent. And what, what a drag hunt does is they get on a four-wheeler or whatever, and they drag that scent along the ground so that the hounds follow that scent. Now, will they only follow that scent, or will they occasionally pick up something that's live that wanders into their path? They could pick up something live if it's very strong. Uh, at Middleton, we have to deal with uh, uh, coyote, of course. We do have some fox there. You probably have a lot of deer. Uh, There's a lot of deer in that area. Deer, yeah. uh, wild pigs, and some other wildlife. But they mix the uh, scent strong. And we have two, one or two people who ride out on horseback in front of us. And they're from a very old hunting family, the Greens, and are very well versed in laying drags and all that. So they lay uh, it right out in front of you. I know some hunts, yes, some uh-huh. drag hunts will lay the line either earlier in the morning or um, depending on the weather, if the line will stick, they'll, they'll go the night before. But um, so you, so actually I don't know anybody that does it the night before. So, um, so you, so these, these folks ride out just ahead, like how, how far ahead do they go? Usually about 10 to 15 minutes out in front okay. of us. 
Okay. And and having them uh, uh, do that uh, close behind each hunt is that we can make changes if we have to. Uh, several weeks ago, we had a problem. Uh, we noticed the hounds were sounding slightly different. And what it was is that we had a pack of coyote who were uh, chasing a deer out in front of us. Uh. We, finally, we finally realized that when we got on one of the roads and saw all the tracks of the coyotes and the deer. So uh, we made a uh, decision to go in a different direction. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you don't want so, the coyotes mixing it up with the hounds, do you? Probably. No, no. no. That wouldn't be good. It, now, it seems like it, there was a, a pack of, uh, of several coyote, and uh, they seemed to have been, we had been following them pretty much most of the hunt, hmm. and uh, just one of those accidental things, and then when, we were, when our huntsman, Jamie, realized uh, what was going on, then we moved off, and you know, he could radio to his brother who lays the uh, line and tell him to move in a different direction and get us away from those coyotes. So mm, that's, yeah. that's an, that's a good team effort there. Yeah. Yeah. So now when you moved away from Maryland uh, to South Carolina, I, I mean, we're up in, I'm up in new England. So the weather here is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and then, but the mid Atlantic States have been hit by some wintry icy weather in the last couple of years as well. Um, do you find that you get to ride more? Um, what Obviously, you're retired now, so there is a little bit more riding time. But um, how is that different in, in horse keeping for you? Well, uh, we do get to ride a lot down here. Um, it's you know, sort of the opposite as it is up there when it gets uh, really hot and humid. Midsummer, oftentimes, people take breaks and not ride. And... Um, but uh, you know, during the winter, unless it's unless it's very rainy and uh, chilly, uh, we can ride just about all the time. Is uh, is, is hunt season yeah, a certain? Is still hunt season? You know, a certain length of time. Is it longer in the south than it is in the north? No, actually, it's it's roughly the same. We we actually start a little bit later because of the heat uh, of September and October. So our close, our opening meet is uh, usually right after Thanksgiving, and uh, up north, it's usually before Thanksgiving. Yeah, they're just finishing you know, up. Sometimes, there, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But yeah. we have a long, we have long roading and cubbing season before that. Because oh, uh, it can, it can stay. You know, even in January, we can have days when uh, you know we're just riding in shirts because it's just too warm. You're just mm. making you're just making uh, Helena really jealous right now. So <laughs> <laughs> <all> you're doing. <laughs> this is gonna you 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 might just you know you might be seeing me out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so and now, how many uh, subscribing members roughly do you have? Is it a big group or is it sort of small? We have about fifty subscribing members, and then we also have a uh, a large group of social members who make up our car followers on Sundays. Uh, we have a quite, a quite a number of car followers come out. We plan everything so that we give them a good show, uh, have checks at places where they can uh, see, you know, the, the hounds and the uh, uh, mounted people go over jumps and 
come to the end, and they're usually very, uh, uh, they're waiting there with refreshments for us. That's well, wonderful. that's a good deal. You have groupies. Groupies. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then we'll have a hot breakfast afterwards. And um, uh, so, yeah, we've got a fairly good following of car followers, yeah. Huh. Excellent. Which, you know, the nicer weather also makes car followers, fans, and groupies a little bit more likely to come out and support the cause, too. Oh, yes. Uh-huh, exactly. And they enjoy being out in the country and being out in the uh, Middleton uh, property. Uh, well, enjoying the enjoying the show. We are um, just about out of time for this particular segment, Joe. I could sit here and pick your brain about what it's like to live and and ride in the Charleston area, and I probably will on another show. Um, <laughs> where can people find out more about Middleton Place Hounds? Uh, they can Google. Probably the easiest thing to do is just Google Middleton Place Hounds, and we have a website set up there. Uh, and it is at middlemanplacehounds.com. I just looked it up. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And yeah. Don't, I couldn't go there because you have music playing, so I couldn't. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a nice little video uh, of the hot on the, uh, on the webpage. And then they can also uh, uh, Google Middleton Place itself. That kind of gives you an idea of where... where you know, the, the property is and all that. And then my horse is actually boarded at Middleton. They have a, an equestrian facility there. So uh, it's very nice because uh, on the hot day, we just walk across the road and there we are. Ah, oh, that's so convenient. And you have yeah. all the great things that, that fun hunts have. You've got hunter paces and like you said, social events and, um, special weekends and things like that. So I definitely encourage everybody to go and check out the website. It is middletonplacehounds.com. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. We'll have to check in with you again. Okay, very good. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. They've made the best even better. Mill Creek Manufacturing is now the first and only company to make stainless steel compact manure spreaders. What does that mean for you? A worry-free solution to your manure management for years to come. Often if a body on a spreader rusts, it's time for a new one. And we've had that happen. We certainly had some old spreaders that rusted out. Mill Creek stainless steel spreaders are guaranteed not to rust through for life. These are the only compact manure spreaders you'll find anywhere with a warranty like that. There's also a three-year warranty on the mechanics and structure. Put this together with Mill Creek's exclusive low-maintenance sealed bearings, and you've got a machine that you can count on to perform day in and day out with no headaches for you. The stainless steel option is available on six of Mill Creek's models, from the popular 27, suitable for up to four horses, to the Big Daddy 127 for over 20 horses. Two of the models can be ordered with either ground or PTO drive. Like all Mill Creek spreaders, stainless steel spreaders have the lowest sides in the industry for easy manure loading. You can't go wrong with any Mill Creek manure spreader, but the new stainless steel models are truly something special. You've never seen anything like them before. Mill Creek has been in business for almost 30 years, and they've continuously improved their designs with horse owners in mind. Horse owners like you and I, who appreciate the best quality, 
best engineered machines on the market. When you call Mill Creek, you'll reach them at their own factory in Pennsylvania. That's right, not in India, but in Pennsylvania, because they're all made in the USA. Give them a call today at 800-311-1323 or visit their website at millcreekspreaders.com. That's millcreekspreaders.com. You know, I I do have, as I mentioned, I do have the same lust for hunting and the ocean. <laughs> lust, I call it lust. A desire. But no, for me, it's lust. I'm for all, you, it's lust, yeah. I, yeah, it's lust. I can't give up the ocean, I, and I can't give up hunting, so I'm stuck, you know, trying to figure out where to go. Um, I don't ever want to survive another winter like the one we had this winter. It was it was just horrible. It's well, really you know, hard to when you're a single mom, you're living at home, and you have the horses at home. That uh, makes it just so much harder. And yeah, there were only quote unquote two horses, but it's the same. You know, it's you still have to do all the work. It, it whether you have two horses or twenty, you still have to shovel the path from the house to the barn three or four times a day. You know that, and you still and you have still to have the frozen water buckets and the frozen pipes st- and the you know all that stuff. Yeah, that that you're right. That does not matter how many horses you have. Um, but you know how many times you have to move that manure pile up the frozen mound or the the wheelbarrow up the frozen mound of manure. That does make a difference. But, you know, I, I do have a child in the school system up here and obviously very strong ties to the community. We can't just pick up and leave for Florida, but I do dream about it. And, <laughs> you know, when the time comes that I can leave the North for any extended period of time, where would I go? And, you know, Middleton Place is perfect because it's a drag hunt. I, I like it a little fast and furious and it sort of fits with my overall philosophy. Um and it's like he said, he's, you know, half hour, 45 minutes from the ocean. That's perfect for me. That's perfect. It's a beautiful just... area, too. He's right off of Route 26, which is the main road that comes down from 95 mm. and heads down to Charleston. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful area. It's very wooded, like he said. Um, but that area and is very really, really historic. Nice. Oh, yeah. Charleston is beautiful. I mean, love uh, living yeah. in historic districts. So, um, yeah, I'm, I might have to go down there for a visit. Yeah, Charleston's just, Charleston's really cool. I've been to Charleston, the city of Charleston, and absolutely loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Loved it. I would like to get out to um, actually the Middleton Place, which I don't know if it's a park or like a preserve or what, but it, it's, it's stunning. So I wouldn't mind getting out there for my next trip down. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you said you like living, you know, near the ocean, but do you, how many, how often do you actually go to the ocean? <sighs> Well, I run down to the beach pretty regularly. So um, when I get my old button gear and I got to burn some calories, I'll take a nice, you know, people run, two-footed run down to the beach. And I do hack my horse down to the beach a lot. And in the summertime, we're there every day. Every day. Like, okay, you, know, you some, do go that some, often? All right, all right. That's yeah, it. because we'll do whatever we have to do. We'll ride, we'll do our chores, we'll work. Um you know, we do a lot of farm work in the summertime. And then when we're done with those chores, usually like two o'clock, maybe three o'clock, we go down to the beach and we swim and we play. And Sunday mornings, we'll go down, we'll have coffee, read the paper. Um, we go down for barbecues all the time. It's because our, our community is a little bit different. We can still build bonfires in the beach. We can barbecue down there. Um, it's more of so a little town feel. 
It's, it is. Town. It's our yeah. town center. Like some places, some communities have a pool, you know, like a town pool. Yeah. Um, gated communities have their little rec centers or whatever. That The beach serves as our recreation center. So we're there a lot. Um, it's And it's an incredible learning tool for children. It's, it's a healthy – and for dogs, you know, you can go and let your dogs run. You can get out of the car and let the kids go. And there's – it's just a wonderful natural environment, I think, for for all kinds of creatures. Hmm. I don't. I couldn't leave it behind. But I in guess the winter time, you have that or you don't. Because Jennifer and I don't. You know, we like being at the ocean, but I, you know, I could take it or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and we like seafood and like really like seafood and. Well, that's one thing you're going to miss if you ever move out of New England because it's just not as good. Community. It's not as good the seafood part. You know, one of the only th- reason that people got mad at us, we ha- our entire family got mad at us when we moved out of New England because they couldn't get the good seafood anymore when they visited. <laughs> then know. we moved to Kentucky, and we lived in Kentucky for four years because we were covering the World Equestrian Games, and we lived in Kentucky. Nobody came to visit us in Kentucky because none of our I family. Did. You did, and you know, but none of the family really did because they're not horse people, so they didn't care. Yeah. yeah so yeah. then, when we moved to Florida, now everybody comes to visit because it's Florida. So <laughs> you know, that's the, it's a it's been interesting to see who visits where. So uh, how has your life changed since going from? I mean, you went from Pennsylvania to New England to Kentucky, and now finally to to Florida. Now I know that it, that was important for Jennifer. She was like, I just need to ride more. Well, and that's it. I think, you know, I think the difference is it's just not as hard. You know, when you th- when you talk about how hard the winter was, and I see how hard the winter was for everybody, and we lived through those winters, so I know, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we lived in Massachusetts in a winter. We had, what, almost 100 inches of snow. You were working at the club at uh, together with Jennifer at that time. Yeah. Shoveled a lot of snow that year, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just... I, I think it's just easier. You know, you, the winter is easy. It's beautiful here in the winter. You know, everybody always says, well, you got the, you know, and we're coming up to our winter, you know, J- July, August, September is really hot. June, yeah. July, August, September, the, you know, but those that's three the months toughest, are, Meaning yeah. that's the toughest time to live in Florida. Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, 95 degrees and 120% humidity uh, every yeah. day. And, but you know what? We have three bad months and nine good months. I'll take that over your three good months and, you know, and seven or eight bad months and then a couple shady months. So, <laughs> you know, we, minute, we have... Minute, uh, Let's just we... back up that bus for a minute. That's right. I would say that... Uh, you have six bad months. The this second year you half had of six. April, <laughs> the second half of April is great. April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. I would say right through November is pretty darn good. Yeah, April through November... Is, is great. Right. And Eight we, months. You know, <clears throat> but it's it's the intensity. Like, you, yeah, you that's can't... That's right. It's you, the intensity. It, it's not so much the, 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 the quantity of good months versus bad months. It's what happens in those bad months and then how that trickles down into the good months. So, you know, to be an outdoor person in the north in the wintertime is just impossible. You know, yeah, unless you're um, skiing and you're not skiing all the, every day. So that's, you know, that's something you do once or twice uh, for most people. They end up going for, on for vacation or whatever, you know. So but like, if you're in Florida and it's 95 degrees with 120 percent humidity, um, I I'm can still that, go outside and do something. 
you can still go out. I mean, you're not going to be doing any like yard work at that time of day right. or heavy riding, but most Floridians will ride early in the morning in the summer That's if right. they do ride. That's right. Or in the evening. Right. Or you know, we'll you do can it go for a hike. You can go for, for a quiet trail ride or something like that. Like it, it's not impossible. When you, there's a hundred inches of snow on the ground out here, you, you do nothing. Right. Exactly. So it, I would say that life just gets easier. And that that when you said that, it made me realize that it's yeah, just it's, that life gets easier. You just don't have to worry about all that moving. crap. You well, know, we don't have to worry light? about. I mean, it does get darker there. You know, like for us. Oh, actually, it stays light longer here. We'll it stay. Does. You're like an hour. Yeah, we'll stay yeah. light uh, when you know it was really good when we lived in Lexington because it would stay light to almost ten o'clock at night in Lexington mm. because they were right on the border of the time change. Yeah. So. Now, down here, we'll stay light till 930, uh, you know, over the summertime. So light's not a problem at all. Yeah. You're usually happy when the sun goes down anyway in the summertime. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't live where Jamie lives. That's a whole different story. You know, in when Arizona. it's a hot. Yeah, and don't, you know, the whole high dry heat thing's crock. It's still 115 degrees, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know every day. It's like, oh. Yeah, don't ever say that to Jamie. She'll punch your eyes out. Um, well, she went from she went from Atlanta or Georgia. Yes, yes where which is very moderate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but not 115. So not yeah. 115, but when you've got the high heat plus the humidity all the time, pretty much. I don't know. I haven't lived in Atlanta, so I can't Atlanta's say not sure. too bad. It's kind of moderate. You know, in the summer they get hot, but in the winter, you know, they get cooler. Yeah, um, that's about four. Takes us for it's about a four hour drive from where we are, and it changes a good bit from here to there. Um, okay. So they, you know, they'll have winters. They even get a little bit of snow and everything. But yeah, so sh- it's just interesting. I just think it gets easier. That's a, that's the best way to say it. Okay, it's, it's it, yeah, it's hard living in the north. You know, if we want to go out to dinner, we don't have to worry about the fact that there's uh, twelve inches of snow and the roads maybe aren't plowed. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You know, you, you, as you said, you just can't do certain things in the winter. You can't. Uh, no. And whereas we can still do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, which is why, you know, half the state has just disappeared heading back north because they're done with their winter now and have all headed north. So, Amen to we that. Can, we can get in restaurants again. That's what it means for us locals is uh, the snowbirds are gone. The horse people are gone. Now we can get back into restaurants again. <laughs> no lines. Uh, well, let's do our tack and habit segment. Okay. Well, now it's time for one of my favorite segments of the Stable Scoop show. It's the tack and habit segment. And this week's segment is sponsored by Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress. You can find them online at chasingafox.com. Well, before we get into this, you know, this is a Tack and Habit segment. It's a segment where we talk about products, right? Did you see the big news in the world of retail in the horse world? I did. Uh, we haven't talked about this yet, but uh, Dover Saddlery was sold. Uh, they're a publicly traded company, the only retailer in the tack world that's publicly traded, and they were sold to an investment group, right? They, I don't know who they were sold to. I mean, this is like hot off the presses. Yeah, it, um, from what I read, it was an investment group, and 
it looks like they're going to, con- you know, they want to continue Dover the way it is, and put they're going to put some money into it so they can open more stores and continuing to do what they're doing. And of course, this comes right Webster on the capital. There you go. It's investment yeah. group, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, w- this comes right on the heels of SmartPak being sold to an invest to a pharmaceutical giant. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that the two went so close together, uh, mm. which also means that uh, that means the principals want to cash out and, and put some money in the bank for yeah, both companies. Well, uh, SmartPak is still private. Dover is Dover trades on NASDAQ under the symbol right. D-O-V-R. Um, right. And they're trading at $8.39. They went up, they went up 60% when the news came out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they leveled off a little bit, which is typical, but um man, their market cap is forty five point twenty two million. Yeah, so they yeah, that's what it looked like. About forty five million is how it ended up. Uh it was what it was based on anyway. <clears throat> so so yeah, the principals over there, I know Steve Day's one of the principals, they're all gonna be cashing out some stock at this point, I bet. Yeah, that's... good time to do that if you own some Dover stock and want to make some profit. Now's the time, uh, but don't listen to me. I don't know anything about stock. So, uh, but yeah, so big news in the world of, of retail and the horse world. Ooh, well, that's a shakeup. Le- yep, we haven't We're had gonna... anything that big since Miller's decided. I to know, I know. Shut their doors between SmartPak and Dover, two biggest players. Well, you're going to review a uh, re- revisit a product that we talked about. I think a long time ago. Yes, we did. It was a long time ago. I think it might have been two years ago, um, maybe even three years ago. But it, it's one of the best products that I never would have thought of. And you just <laughs> used I, it, which is what reminded you, right? Right. It's the, one of the best products that I never thought I needed. It's called the H2 Go Bag. I know it sounds a little dirty, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It is a plastic bag with a spout on the end that you put in your wheelbarrow. And you fill it up. It's a flexible plastic, you know, heavy-duty plastic bag. You fill it up with your hose, and the plastic bag fills like a, like a juice pouch, you know, like a juice box pouch. And um, you plug up the little, the the spout, and you can bring your water anywhere you want. So for me, I have my horses out in a backfield, which is, um, you know, a little, little bit, a couple hundred yards from my barn. So my hose doesn't go all the way out there. So I just filled up my H2 Go bag. Well, I put it in the wheelbarrow, filled it up, plugged it up, and brought it out to the field and filled their water buckets up out there. It was like, I can't believe I forgot that I had it, too, because it was tucked away in my tack closet. And I was like, how am I going to – I got to carry buckets out there. This is awful. I'm not ready for this. Blah, blah, blah. I, I was like a whining, crying mess. And then I'm like, what's this blue thing? And I pulled it out from under some winter blankets, and I went, oh. <gasps> My H2 go back. I was so excited. I was dancing around my barn like a total idiot. The neighbors must have been like, what is she up to now? And then there I am filling it up. I, oh, and I was marching that wheelbarrow down the back path like, all happy. It was muddy and bumpy. I didn't care. It is kind of I like your juice bag uh, analogy. It's kind of like a great big juice bag. It is like a great big yeah. juice bag. Yeah. 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 It like can't, well, and, and a 20 gallon <laughs> juice bag. Um, yeah, it holds 20 gallons, which is perfect. And um, I think it retails for somewhere around $19.99, which is not a bad price. No. And you, this one's years old, right? 
Uh, so, well, it's two years old now, yeah. And yeah, so it, hasn't, it doesn't have a hole in it or, you know, hasn't rotted or anything. Nope. When you, um, when you buy it from the, wherever you buy it from, if you buy it online or wherever, in the package it comes with a little um, grippy strip, almost like those things that you put under throw rugs to keep them from sliding around on the floor. Okay. It's yep, like a yep, rubber, yep, yep, a rubber yep. mesh thing, right? So it has one of those. So when you put the bag in the wheelbarrow, um, it doesn't slide around in the wheelbarrow. And then when you go to tilt the wheelbarrow up to pour the water out, um, the bag doesn't slide out of the wheelbarrow either. So that okay. little grippy thing comes with it. Very cool. And yeah. you can get them anywhere? You can get them anywhere. You can get them at Walmart, um, Amazon, Gardner Supply, Chick Saddlery, Riding Warehouse. Yeah, just Google them and um, Google H2Go bag. And you can even buy it direct from the manufacturer at h2gobag.com. There you go. Very good. And I did have uh, a question from a listener who asked us if we use any particular podcast apps beside ours. So, of course, you can get the Horse Radio Network app by searching Horse Radio Network on iOS or Android, and it's free and easy to use, but it only has our podcasts. If you're looking at listening to other podcasts, there's a number of them out there. Stitcher uh, is one. I actually use, the personal one I use is called Pocket Casts, uh, P-O-C-K-E-T, Casts. Pocket Casts, you search for Pocket Casts on your uh, on your in your app store and you'll find it. I think I paid $3.99, $3.99 or something for it. Uh, but I love this. I love how it's set up. I love how I can sort my podcasts uh, by different things. You can sort it by audio, video. You can sort unplayed podcasts. You can sort just the ones that you've started and haven't finished. And then you can set up playlists where I can set up different podcasts. Like if I take and put Horses in the Morning and click on it, then it'll only show me the Horses in the Morning podcast, not all the other ones I have, too. So it's like a podcast organizer. It is, and it's really, really good. The player is very good. It's... uh, you can when you you know when you hit play, you can back up ten seconds. You can skip ahead thirty seconds. Um, it has snooze, so you can set it up that if you I go to sleep with my podcast some nights, and I can actually set it up to turn off in an hour, thirty minutes, fifteen minutes, five minutes. Oh my god, you so, are a geek. <laughs> yeah, so it's really cool. It's a really a nice program. It's called Pocket Casts. That's the one I use. Okay, Pocket so, Casts for anybody that's looking for a podcast player. As I said, there's a million of them out there now. But but this one really does work well for everything I need it for. And I think it's available iOS or Android, either one. Okay. Cool. All right, we better that's wrap little, it up. That's a little outside <laughs> of my, my my geek scope, but I I I'll probably be using it in like 2 years. Oh, well, I I just found it uh what's the price here? Uh it's by a company called Shifty Jelly. I like it already. <laughs> Shifty Jelly. Ingenious. Shifty Jelly is the name of the company. That's correct. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to find a price. Uh, once you have it installed, well, it's almost... $3.99, right? Yeah, I'm just looking. I Somewhere thought it was like there. $3. Uh, once you have it installed, it's hard to find a price. Four ninety nine is what it was. So I was close. So four ninety nine. It's worth the 5 bucks. Worth the 5 bucks. Yep. All right, well, we need to wrap up because All I right. will put my horses out back. All right, you put your horses out. Go uh, coach your daughter out there playing, looking wicked, by the way, in those pictures. Uh, yeah, let's see what she brings today. I told her to be a maniac. 
<laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Take for, care. We'll see details you details about today's show, oh, though, yeah, make yeah. sure you go oh, yeah. to stablescoop.com where you can find links to today's guests, photos, and more information. And remember, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook. Um, just search for Stable Scoop and comment on all the awesome content that we put up there. We're also on Twitter at Horse Radio. Many thanks to our sponsors. We had a bunch of them today. Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products, Mill Creek Spreaders, Buy Me to Dewormers, and Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress. That's it for this week. Ooh, that was plenty, but there will be more next week. Until then, happy scooping.